I'm Jock Wilson, and this is Football North. Coming up, Morley Scott, the voice of the Edmonton Elks, goes one-on-one with former TSN sideline reporter Sarah Orleski. Sarah has worked her final CFL game as she is now joining the Winnipeg Jets organization. But first, let's talk quarterbacks. Glenn Suter from TSN stirring the pot, suggesting it's time for the Stampeders to trade Bo Levi Mitchell. Does John Huffnagel and Dave Dickinson believe enough in Tommy Stevens as a backup to Jake Mayer to trade Bo Levi Mitchell? Again, I, I'm, I'm doing this where Dave Dickinson probably says no, and John Huffnagel is going, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> we, we could get something pretty good right now if we traded him to the Hamilton Tiger Cats who want to take a run in their last seven games Bo's contract expires at the end of this Mm -hmm. year right so so in February he's a free agent Mm -hmm. now does if he goes in and becomes a free agent does he now become a broadcaster or does he continue with his career and try to sign as a free agent somewhere I, I would you know I don't I don't know and I don't want to answer for him but um, if if he is traded and has five games to to elevate a Ham- let's just say Hamilton for fun, but elevate a Hamilton Tiger Cat team to second place in the East, you know they're only a couple games back of Montreal. Um, now maybe he resurrects another two or three years in his playing career, and and he wants to stay on the field. So, you know I think for him it's it's probably. A thought. It clearly looks like the tide has changed now in Calgary, as far as Dave Dickinson is concerned. I agree with you on on the on the on the safety net that is Bo Levi Mitchell mm-hmm. for Dave Dickinson and for the team. And again, that takes me right back to Tommy Stevens. Do do they believe that if Jake Mayer gets nicked, that Tommy Stevens could take him to the championship, or is he even remotely ready? Um, because my gut tells me, my gut tells me no, but that's my gut. Yeah. Yeah. And what we haven't seen, we haven't seen enough. Right. So it's, that's a, just a huge unknown. And, and that's where, that's where I say, (laughs) I'd love to be the, the, the fly in the room when Dave Dickinson and, and John Huffnagel are discussing this. (laughs) If they are, I don't even know if they are, but if they are and, and Huffnagel saying, listen, we could probably get a first round pick and a player, a starter. If we trade them right now. Okay, some food for thought. Let's throw it up for discussion on the Football North Roundtable. Derek Taylor, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on CJOB. And, of course, we have Dave Campbell, one half of the play-by-play team on 630 Ched in Edmonton. You know, I, I don't know what's happening in your markets, guys, but here in Calgary, we've got a hot-button issue. And the hot-button issue is... What do the Calgary Stampeders do with Bo Levi Mitchell? Bo Levi Mitchell is now the backup quarterback in Calgary. Bo Levi Mitchell is the winningest quarterback in CFL history. He's the franchise leader in, you know, passing yards in this city. Bo Levi Mitchell is going to be on the Calgary Stampeder Wall of Fame. Bo Levi Mitchell is going to be a Hall of Famer. Do the Calgary Stampeders keep Bo Levi Mitchell for an insurance policy, that's what I would do, are some people are suggesting, you know, with the trade deadline fast approaching October the 5th, 5 p.m. Eastern time on a Wednesday, uh, should the Calgary Stampeders look at at maybe uh, pulling off a a deadline deal trade? I'm going to start with you, Derek. Give me your perspective. 
I think you I think you have to keep Foley by Mitchell. I think you absolutely have to because think of with with the state of the BC Lions with Rourke, I presume out for the season though they haven't officially said that. Calgary to me is very clearly the second best team in the Canadian Football League and they are very clearly able to play a very tight game with the best team in the CFL, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Played the Bombers three times and as much as they lost all three of those games, they were all very close. And two bounces the other direction in, say, a West final in, say, Winnipeg. And Calgary could be going to the Grey Cup. Now, I, I think you absolutely have to. You're, you're riding with Jake Mayer. I get that. But you, you're going to need, you know, it's it's a little, it's a, t- a tiny bit of insurance. It's a tiny bit of insurance. If Winnipeg were to lose Zach Kolaris, I think they're in grave trouble. If, if Calgary were to lose Jake Mayer at this point, I don't believe they're in grave trouble because they have a guy who, is all those things you said and knows what they, they want to do. So I don't see the value at this moment for a team this good to trade a – I mean, I'm trying to find an adjective here, dependable, reliable, mm-hmm. probably don't necessarily qualify with the season he's had this year. But to trade an option of, of a quarterback who knows their team so well, I, I just don't see the value in it. Dave, how about yourself? It would be – Nuts, I think, to trade Bo Levi Mitchell at this stage. You know, this is different than Zach Caleros in, in 2019 when he was just, you know, burning daylight with the Toronto Argos and they clearly weren't going to use him. So there was an opportunity to send him to Winnipeg. Winnipeg needed a quarterback at the time because Chris Trevler wasn't getting it done after Matt Nichols got hurt. And it was the perfect fit and they won the Great Cup. But you look at this situation in Calgary and I'm impressed with Jake Mayer. It's only six starts, for goodness sakes, for one. And although I do believe that the arrow is really high for him and the ceiling's very high for Jake Mayer. But, you know, a lot of what DT is saying is, is, is absolutely correct is, you know, why would you send uh, a player of the caliber of a Bo Levi Mitchell to someone else just because, you know, you want to end a controversy right now, there is no controversy. No. I believe in Calgary that like, this is me from 10,000 feet, obviously, Jock, because I don't live in your city and I don't I don't really hear what your market says. But my my thought is there is no controversy at the moment because Jake Mayer is handling the role very, very well. But that means it could change. It doesn't mean it can't change on a dime. It doesn't mean that Jake Mayer can't get hurt. It doesn't mean that Jake Mayer can't struggle for a few games. Uh, He may not. I don't think he will. But why would you why would you corrupt your own depth by sending away Bo Levi Mitchell because you want to end a so-called quarterback controversy? You got to keep Bo. You see, the devil's advocate here in Calgary is, you know, they, they've seen it from a hockey perspective, they've seen Johnny Goudreau walk away for nothing. And, you know, both of these quarterbacks are not going to be in Calgary next year, Jake Mayer and Bo Levi Mitchell. So it's a situation, do you just hang on to the asset? because you think you're, you're a team that can compete with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, or do you try to make your team better? Getting a high draft pick, you know, maybe getting a player that can, can help you right now. So I, I, I do see both sides of it, but as I said earlier, I, I certainly you know, lean to the favor of, of hanging on to Bo Levi Mitchell. I think he means that much to the team. But, but I guess the other aspect is, you know, where does Tommy Stevens fit in? You know, are, are you comfortable as an organization that Tommy Stevens can be your backup guy? Great and short yardage. We don't know what he can do, you know, throwing the ball. Uh, these are the types of decisions, Derek Taylor, that, that that I think managers like, you know, John Huffnagel and, and, and head coaches like Dave Dickinson have to decide with their team. And they, they know quarterbacks a heck of a lot better than we do. 
Well, and, and I would challenge anybody who thinks they should trade Bo Levi Mitchell. What do you want to acquire? What is the thing that Calgary needs? That defensive front is outstanding. Those two linebackers and Judge and Thurman, fantastic. If you had a star available in the back six you could get in the trade, I might be up for that. If you could – I don't know what Brandon Revenberg's contract status is in Hamilton, but if you could add him at guard to that line, I might I might think about it because Revenberg is really well thought of. Mm-hmm. Receiver, don't need help. Running back, don't need help. There's not a spot – like, let's just let's just look at this this Calgary team. They've lost, what, four games this season? Four, Jock. Confirmed four games That's, this season? And three of them to your team. And one of them to the Nathan Rourke BC Lions. Right. They've lost two incredible teams. Like, that BC team, if Rourke played the whole season, was going to be like 14-4. and four. So let's not pretend Calgary is bad. They are – if we were doing tiers, it's it's Winnipeg and then Nathan Rourke BC – and then maybe maybe the tiniest drop off to Calgary, mm-hmm. and then to me a massive drop off to everybody else. So tell me the thing. Tell me the thing that's going to change this Calgary Stampeders team, and I I don't see it. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't see what Calgary needs so badly that that it's more valuable than having the safety of Bo on the roster. Again, just from a Calgary perspective, I think the the issue would probably be at slot back because Kamar Jordan is on the six-game injured list. Trey Odoms-Dukes, he, he, he suffered a little bit of an ankle injury on the weekend, so we don't know uh, the severity of that. So if you could add another receiver and a high draft pick, I guess I, I guess you could certainly look at it. But, you know, if we're if we're talking quarterbacks, and, and, and I think this, this is a great segue into a great topic, you know, we know with Nathan Rourke out, you know, I, I don't want to even put him in, in into the mix right now because I think he's done. So, you know, let's be honest. Zach Caleros is the best quarterback in the Canadian Football League right now. Who is the second best quarterback in the Canadian Football League? Here we are heading into to week 15. You know, hey, there, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, I'm not a big fan, but he's got some pretty good numbers. Bethel-Thompson to the end zone! Touchdown! Brandon Banks does it again! You know, Trevor Harris, Cody Fajardo, Jake Mayer, Vernon Adams Jr., Bo Levi Mitchell. Dave, uh, who's your second best quarterback in the Canadian Football League right now? I hate this question. <laughs> I hate it so much. Um, it Like, it's such a muddled, like, the answer is so muddled. It's it's ridiculous, you know. Like, I honestly could make an argument for Jake Mayer or Bo Levi Mitchell. Honestly, I could. Um, you know, but is that fair at, at the moment because of, you know, mayor's experience and all that. Honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to live in the now I'm going to live right here where my feet are. I'm going to say it's Jake mayor. Just back to the line of scrimmage. Second and 10 mayor. He's going to look to the end zone. Corner, back up, and he's got it. Hangs on in spectacular fashion. I think Jake mayor is the second best quarterback in the league right now, based on for performance to the, to, to, to this, very moment that we're speaking here so uh but that does speak to your to your point of you know the other quarterbacks you know these are starters and they're you know these most of these teams are treading water you know um you know and the thing with nathan rourke it's pretty tough and he's great i mean he's He's, he's strengthening his case for MOP every day, even though he's not going to play a full season. Um, if people would have the guts to do it, I don't know if I would. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's pretty bad when one player just makes your whole team tank. The, the thing with your depth at quarterback, and I saw this in 2015 when Michael Riley went down with the Edmonton football team in the opening game 
uh, of the season in Fort McMurray against the Argos. And he was out for, what, eight, ten weeks. And Matt Nichols and James Franklin combined uh, for a five and two record. And I think Nichols gets that five and two record just because Franklin came in on a couple games and, and, and kind of saved the day. But they treaded water, right? And that's all you need is, is tread water. Michael came back and they, you know, went on a tear and won the Great Cup. Where, where the uh, Lions are completely drowning right now. It's, it's ridiculous. And we'll see what, you know, Vernon Adams can do. But, uh, yeah, to, but to circle back to the question right now, I'd say Jake Mayer is the second best quarterback in the league right now. Okay, Derek, you're next. I. Uh... Gosh, Mayer's certainly in the mix for me. Um, he he protects the ball pretty well because he's running that that short stuff that, that Calgary seems to want. But I wonder what happens in a game where they need to produce some points to to win it. Can he really hammer the ball down the field? Oh, every time I, I every time I watch McLeod Bethel Thompson, I'm I'm impressed, but I want more mm-hmm. from him. I was I was just reviewing this week's game, and he's standing in the pocket, hammering the ball into spots, and, and you know, incredible arm. With some accuracy, um, I just I, I feel like I, I'm wanting a little more. I, I I feel uncomfortable saying this. Let's just promise that this is a safe space. Can we promise this is a safe space? <laughs> I, I we'll can see. never promise that, but uh, okay, I, let's, let's pretend it's a safe space. I might get. I'm going to get a little mocked, but honestly, I'm still on the Cody Fajardo bandwagon. Okay. Um, like. He he has been as I watch those games and as I chart those games out, the the quarterback pressure that he is under reminds me of Zach Kolaris and Hamilton in 2017. In that you're taking a good quarterback and you're rendering him totally unable to do anything at all. When when they ran the Ty Rogers out there for nine games and that guy was just getting burned inside, outside, upside down, uh, taking holding penalties, just repeatedly getting gooned by good defensive ends. I, I thought. Well, what do you what do you expect Pajaro to do? What, uh, really, what are you trying to do? He he wants to extend these plays and he wants to make something happen. He's been limited by a knee injury. Uh, he was obviously limited this past week because his whole team was was sick and throwing up. Like, but he's when he's healthy, his arm isn't the best, but he's accurate enough and he's very mobile. Like he is a weapon in the running game, and it maybe speaks to the state that we're in of like. We have two quarterbacks and then the rest of the pack. But mm-hmm. I, I would put a vote forward for as much as 21 and 22 haven't been great for him. I, I still believe that the the nineteen the 2019 Cody Fajardo uh, exists out there, whether it can exist in a Jason Moss type system or he, you know, the, those two have to part ways. But I, I still have this belief for Fajardo because even with all the all the negative conditions that he's working under, again, injuries factor in as well, he – He's still, you know, his accuracy, his completion versus expected, those numbers end up still being pretty good. So I'm going to put in a vote for Cody Fajardo. Fajardo over the middle. He's got a man wide open. It's Shaq Evans, and Evans with a huge chunk takes it outside the 35. Okay, fair enough. You know, and, and it's it's a great topic because here we are talking about, yeah, we know who number one is, and, and if Nathan Rourke was there, he'd be number one, Zach Kolaris would be number two, and then it's then it's everybody else in that situation. So I, I guess the, the, the follow-up question, guys, is are we doing enough to develop quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League right now? Hey, in Calgary, and again, you know, we can give ourselves a pat on the back, you know, with John Huffnagel and Dave Dickinson, we've been pretty damn fortunate. You know, we, we've had, you know, a little bit of a quarterbacking factory in here. Uh, other teams, not so much. So, Derek, you started off. Are we doing enough to develop quarterbacks in this league? 
To me, not really. Um, we, we, we do have the great example, Jake Mayer. We do have the great example of Nathan Rourke, you know, a year behind Michael Riley and mm-hmm. Rourke becomes the super duper star. But uh, when I when I look around, you know, watching all the games and, and charting out all the games, I, I see coach head coaches and offensive coordinators sticking with guys who I just don't believe are viable. And I think it have proven that they're just not viable when they when they have other options available to them. I watched how long that Ottawa said, you know what, we're just going to keep rolling with this. Uh, we're going to keep rolling with Caleb Evans. Uh, there's some nice stuff that Caleb Evans does, but to, to have started him, and Dave watched that game, to, to have started him in that last game against Edmonton when it was very clearly long past time to get Nick Arbuckle some reps, I didn't understand it. Uh, in, in Dave's hometown, like I've been out on Taylor Cornelius for a long time, and maybe it's injuries <laughs> that have kept them from going somewhere else, you know, injuries to the other quarterbacks. But how does – and I have my own issues with Chris Jones. Let's not kid ourselves. But how do you keep? How do you stick with these guys? How do you keep throwing him out and expecting it to get better when they show you that the fundamentals of quarterbacking are not there? Uh, Dominic Davis, Ottawa kept popping out Dominic Davis, and as much as I was there to call the greatest game he'll ever play when he was thirty of thirty nine for three seventy and three touchdowns, and he looked unbelievable. He just can't do it as a starter, and coaches continue to do these things instead of going to the next guy and trying something else with somebody else because uh you know maybe maybe you have a Jake Mayer on your roster a guy who can run your stuff the way it can be done because we have for me we have the knowledge that player x cannot do it so really could the next guy be any worse i feel like that's part that's part of it just whether it's loyalty or it's just blindly hoping that guys can do it, uh, I, I feel like that is a part that that's kind of holding us back quarterback-wise. You better weigh in, Dave. <laughs> okay, I don't have the access to Derek's uh, copious amount of stats on his laptop. <laughs> um, and I trust everything that he puts out. Everything! Um, I will say this. I, I heard a great comment from Jason Garrett. Uh, on NBC's Football Night in America recently. And he says, offensive football is about evening out the burden. If the burden is all on the quarterback, that's going to be a problem, right? And I don't know if Taylor Cornelius is going to be a good quarterback. I don't even know if he's a good quarterback now. But I look at Taylor Cornelius in the last two games, and even in the two games previous, I thought, you know, he had one good game in Ottawa or half game. And then he had, you know, a game against the red blacks at home where the only thing he could complete was anything past 40 yards. And then the last two games against the Stampeders, he has had better options around him than he has ever had before. Even with a Kenny Lawler in the lineup, even with a Manny Arsenault in the lineup, you bring in Dylan Mitchell, you bring in Jalen Marshall, you bring in Kevin Brown, and it's made Darrell Walker even better. You know, the problem in Edmonton, their offensive line is crap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it like I see what you're saying about Cordy Fajardo, uh, DT, and I totally agree with you that that I do believe that he could be the number two quarterback in the league. Their offensive line is junk. The Elks offensive line is junk. Now, I do think Cody Fajardo, you put Cody Fajardo, Taylor Cornelius to, you know, beside each other. I think Fajardo's better for sure. You know, the options here are not are, are thin. You're going to put Kyle Oxley in? I mean, that's kind of the one stone I want to kind of see unturned 
in a lot of ways, but I don't know how long that would last. You're not going to put Mike Beaudry in. Trey Ford's coming back, so that'll be interesting. So, you know, I I, I think uh, when we go back to is there are we developing quarterbacks enough? No. And I find it interesting that it go back to training camp here in Edmonton when Chris Jones brought in eight quarterbacks. I think that's a reflection of kind of how bad it is out there as far as the quarterback depth is. And even look in the NFL, they've had that problem for years, right? And they just retread, recycle. It's just, it's amazing how, you know, bad quarterbacks down there find work because they know, you know, better with the devil, you know, than the devil, you don't kind of thing. Right. So, um, yeah, I, you know, coaches are stubborn. You know, I remember being in Ottawa and asking, why is Nick Arbuckle not playing to Paul Lapolice? And, you know, he, it almost felt like I'm just giving Caleb Evans the the nod because I know him more and, you know, and I've, I've seen him more. And I think that's what a lot of coaches do is it's familiarity versus, you know, giving, you know, giving maybe another option, uh, a nod because that option, well, maybe it's better, but, you know, I'd rather go with, with what I know, but yeah, it, it's a real issue in this league for sure that the depth of quarterbacking is not very good. And uh, if you look at around the league, if, if a starter goes down, like if, if McLeod Bethel Thompson goes down, everyone wants to see Chad Kelly, but what would that look like right now? You know, not two years, three years down the road. And uh, you know, that's, that's a concern I have is that there is a lack of depth in, in the league. You know, Dave, I, I think you make an excellent point. You know, sometimes it's about environment. Sometimes it is about system. I, 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 hey, I, DT, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't think Zach Caleros was an elite quarterback when he was traded to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, th- that's now maybe the best trade in CFL history uh, <laughs> because it was the right environment. And, and what Zach has done in Winnipeg, it's amazing. And, and then, then I look at the BC Lions and I see what Nathan Rourke was doing with that team. And then Pipkin comes in. And not even he's got all those weapons, but he's he's not doing anything. And you know, I, I we'll see what Vernon Adams can do with that team. So you know, environment. And and if you drop Nathan, a healthy Nathan Rourke into the Edmonton lineup, would Edmonton be a playoff team? I, I would say probably, even with their crappy uh, offensive line. So you know, sometimes it is uh, you know about an environment and and system. Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent agreed. And honestly, when when I was doing radio in Regina, when the Zach Kalaros to Winnipeg trade happened, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Saskatchewan, it was one, Calgary, two, and Winnipeg was in third place. Looked like they'd make the playoffs. I said the second I learned of that trade, I'm now afraid of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers because I remember, like Zach in 2015, when he hurt himself, it was so unbelievable. And throughout his time, it, to me, to me, everything kind of comes back to, first of all, accuracy as a passer. And Zach always had that. And Zach had this improvisational greatness that, Okay, as much as it got beat out of him in 2017 when those first eight games or however many he started, their their two tackles were just terrible and couldn't block anybody. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as things got better, Sask had his own issues when he was a quarterback there. But the second he got to Winnipeg and got to play in Winnipeg, it, I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is what I, I thought slash hoped it would be. It's Zach has time and, and the ability to improvise and good enough players around him that they can understand what he's going to do uh, when he improvises. To me, I, I just as I've gone this, and I've charted games now since 2015, and I just I just watch them all, and I go, if you are not an accurate passer, you just you just have no shot whatsoever, just none at all. And accuracy comes. There's a bunch of things, and accuracy is subjective in spots. 
and what are you asked to do and how does it relate to how far you're asked to throw the football. But if you're not an accurate passer, you just, to, my, to me, my mind, you just have no chance whatsoever. So I, I always look at the guys who who are not accurate, and I just go, yeah, that's that's not that's not it. There's the biggest difference in BC right now between Nathan Rourke and Antonio Pipkin. Because when you watch Pipkin, you go, man, this guy can move real well. He's a fluid athlete. This looks good. Oh, that ball went nine feet over Dominic Rimes' head. <laughs> right? And 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 Rourke, Rourke, to my data, is the most accurate versus expectation. Like, he was he was laser. Whether he continued that for his whole career, another conversation. But he is just a laser beam. Mm. And sure, a couple times I griped that he got receivers killed with hospital balls that could have been better. But laser accurate. Kalaris this season, very accurate. The ball is there on time and on target and enough to – to save his receivers some woe. But when, when you see these other guys, you go, I, I don't know how you think that's going to get better. You can put receivers in better spots and you can you could have better concepts against zones, but uh, Nick Arbuck is still trying to whiz one into a two-foot window with three guys around it in the game against Toronto. And you go, that's not that's not going to work. There's just no way that that's going to work. I Arbuckle's one, actually, I believe can can – can do something uh, just again off a of 19. But if you're to me, if you're not accurate, you're, you don't have a prayer regardless of what's around you. And yeah, your receivers, it's, it's been the downfall of a few receivers over the course of the past few years as well, being tasked with a quarterback who isn't particularly accurate. So the guys I look for to be the next ones and, and to have a chance, you, you've got to be accurate with the football and then we can figure out the rest. So as we wrap up this discussion on quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League, I think we've all come to the conclusion Bo Levi Mitchell is not getting traded at the trade deadline on October the 5th. No. Uh, let's, no. uh, I will veto it if it happens. <laughs> you I will veto, veto it? it. Yes. I appreciate that. Thanks, Dave. Uh, uh, let, let, let's just wrap it up then. Best quarterbacks of all time in the Canadian Football League because we have seen you know some outstanding quarterbacks. I'll start. Number one on my list, Doug Flutie. Uh, you know, his body of work and just a prototypical, you know, CFL or a guy that could do it all. Great passing, great vision, you know, obviously with, with, the, with the run abilities as well. I'm going to put Warren Moon number two on my list, and then I'm going to put Anthony Calvillo number three on my list. Uh, who wants, Dave, you go next. Uh, who, who are your top three all time? Yeah, Doug Flutie's the best quarterback I've ever seen. Well, I think he adds so much more of being able to run around. Second and goal. And Flutie's going to do just that, and he'll score. Touchdown, Doug Flutie. Uh, in this league. I cannot argue against that for sure. Now, um, I'm going to, maybe I'm recency bias here, but I'm going to put Ricky Ray number two. Second and four, Ray looking deep. Has it in. Fred steps. Touchdown. And I'm going to put Zach Kalaros number, not Zach Kalaros, uh, Anthony Cavillo number three. Another critical second and long. Oh, so, <laughs> Dave, we were about to be best friends on that one, that third one. Caleros is a very close fourth. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Like, it's, it's Doug Flutie, right? Like, I, I, I was a very young child. My dad loved Warren Moon. Uh, but, well, I mean, Warren was here for five years yeah. uh, and, and split a job with Tom Wilkinson. I'd have to go back and look to how much was each guy, but split a job with Tom Wilkinson. Doug Flutie was here for eight seasons. With three teams, six times he was the league's most outstanding player. That I don't even know how you ma- <laughs> how, how do you match that in any sport? You can't. Uh, 
that's it's crazy. Two times six thousand plus yards. Like he was, he was absolutely the straw that stirs the drink. That's insane. Um, oh, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I love the Ricky Ray one because Ricky will. I wonder if Ricky how he'll be perceived twenty years from now, just because he was never the most athletic guy and, and he never had the the deepest strongest arm. But dear God, was he he was so on point with the football at every turn, and he was. I remember a play from whether it was the year he broke his neck or not, but he's getting getting the pockets collapsing, and he goes, "I'm just going to switch this ball to my left hand and then throw it away under pressure." And I'm like, "I, I don't even know how you do that at the age of." But he was like 50 at the time. It was it was an unbelievable play. Um, Ricky Ricky Ray's got to be high up there too. Um, honestly, just just by childhood memories of of you know four year old me, Warren Moon probably has to be number two. Moon back to pass, throwing for Tony. Oh, I hate to leave Damon Allen out of the conversation. Damon oh, Allen, Art. Where's Ron Lancaster for the Ryder fans out there? Oh, heavens to Murgatroyd. That's before my time. That's I, <laughs> I couldn't give you an accurate, accurate but uh, Lancaster for sure. Um, can I? I'm, uh, oh, I can't leave. Uh, Anthony Calvillo's three. Anthony Calvillo's three. Apologies to Damon Allen. I love quarterbacks who can move. Uh, Calvillo, it was, Calvillo is, is the guy for if the system is, per, is perfect for the perfect quarterback, you can have near perfect results, hey? Great conversation, no guys. This has been fun. And Derek named about 17 quarterbacks before he <laughs> named his top three. It's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I did I did I did settle on just my top three. I I threw in a bunch of other ones. Shout out Danny McManus, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no love for Jeff Garcia. Okay. Guys, uh, thanks so much for your time. Great conversation. Uh, we're gonna do it again real soon. Anytime. Thanks, Jack. All right, that is a fantastic conversation. We're going to wrap up this edition of Football North with a one-on-one conversation with former CFL sideline reporter Sarah Orleski. We want to we want to give you the game ball for today, Sarah. But not just from me, from the organization and everybody. Um, told you yesterday, we're all going to really miss you around here. Uh, the league's going to miss you. You've been incredible, incredible to me, incredible to my family and everybody, and uh, we love you. Leave it. Now I'm going to cry. Great. I made it this far, Zach. <laughs> Let's take Darren for that. <laughs> Thanks so much for this. That is Zach Kolaris of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers post game on Saturday night presenting the game ball to our next guest. Can I still say Sarah Arleski of TSN? <laughs> you can, well, good evening. Thanks so much for having me on. No, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the TSN moniker has, has left now. It is now uh, Sarah Orleski with the Winnipeg Jets. But listening to that, cl- listening to that clip, my goodness, brought all the emotions back for me. It was truly such an incredibly special Saturday. You had a pretty emotional last couple of weeks. I know you were in Calgary for the Labor Day game, and we saw they give you a special, I think it was a signed helmet that they gave you. You got the game ball in Winnipeg. Uh, you, you really got the royal treatment over the last couple of weeks. Pretty emotional, I'm guessing. It was incredibly emotional for it, and I can't thank, I mean, the Riders, the Stampeders, um, and then also the Bombers, obviously, as well, for it all. But until about the end, I was, I said, I think I've cried so much over the last week and a half, and the emotions going, I don't understand how people, it's funny that someone said that I... I got a message from someone that that was joking that my farewell tour was lasting longer than uh, Derek Jeter's did. So I said that I don't understand how anyone could deal with the emotions of 
of um, of it as long as you know as some athletes do with it when they say goodbye. But the CFL has meant so much to me. Um, I you know I described it on the broadcast as it was obviously it was part of my job, but such a labor of love as well from um, the players, the coaches, the fans, of course, across the country. And it's just it's been such an incredibly large part of my life. I mean, every weekend for you know, six, what is it, six months of the year for 14 years. So it was, it was pretty, it was pretty emotional and and meant a lot to me that, um, that people responded the way that they did. Yeah, a fixture on the sidelines and on the broadcast. 14 years, I was going to ask you how long. I didn't realize it was that long. I thought it was a little less than that. But, wow, 14 years, that's uh, that's Which incredible. is remarkable because I'm only 30. So, uh, I mean, just <laughs> do the quick math as to how. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, now, how, how tough was it to make the decision and, and fill us in on what you're going to be doing now with the Jets? Um, it was incredibly difficult just because of um, my love for the job that I had at TSN and the people, most importantly, that I had the opportunity to work with. Uh, but, you know, it was a great opportunity. The Jets had approached me about coming on board and I and just the opportunity to do more storytelling with them, I think, that. Um, people are well aware even outside of the Winnipeg market as to how passionate Jets fans are, much like Oilers fans are, well, or in any Canadian city, but they're very passionate here, and I thought there was a real opportunity to be able to help them their um, content department grow and to produce even more stuff and really hopefully give people more of um, an inside glimpse as to players' lives away from the rink. You know, we always talk about the... Um, the game and the X's and O's of it, but um, to be able to hopefully give people a glimpse that they haven't had of fans or of the players before is what I've come on board to do. So my official title is senior host and producer. Um, so I'll also be hosting and producing the post game show and a variety of different things on the Winnipeg Jets platform. So I'm really looking forward to the opportunity. Very bittersweet to, uh, sweet to leave because um, I did love what I was doing so much. And most importantly, I love the people that I worked with so much. But it was a great opportunity and it also keeps me home more. I won't have the same sort of travel that I've had over the last 14 years so we'll find out whether or not my family loves me as much as they think they do (laughs) (laughs) all right uh all right i want to ask you about the job you had then uh sideline reporting is not an easy thing to do i I, you know it's easy to to pick up things or not easy but it's it's easier to pick up things down there and report them but the interviews i think is where you became uh known for being so good at and that's a fine art because you're interviewing guys who are at uh, the top of their day and the bottom of their day uh sometimes the top of their career and the bottom of their career as well uh, talk about how that's evolved for you over the years, and have you had any tough moments that you really think back on that where you've been interviewing players or coaches, and you're thinking that this is this is pretty difficult to do. Well, sometimes, to be honest, the ones that I find most challenging are the ones where players are, I like to describe them as incredibly succinct in their answers. So sometimes when they'll only give you three or four word answers, those can be the ones that I find the most challenging. But I, I think that for me, it was always about, you know, trying to make sure that the player had, you know, just setting them up for it, but not 
not making it too much about the question, if that makes sense, and more about letting them give their answer. Because sometimes I think that, especially in the emotion, the heat of when they're the player that you'd be interviewing going in at the half, I mean, they potentially had come right off the field. And at times we've seen over the years, whether it be with um, myself or there was a really um, – well-known clip with Jermaine Franklin years ago um, with Solomon Alamillion about how the, mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was so emotional going going into the interview. And that's, uh, so that can be the challenge sometimes is when you would deal with a player that's heightened in their emotions at that precise moment. So I always found that it was better to in some ways keep the question um, as simple as possible for it and really let the players take it where they wanted to go and, and try to leave it as open-ended as possible. There's nothing that it sometimes can close off a question more than if you, know, you strictly give them something that can be answered in yes or no fashion because um, at some times those players will take the opportunity to simply answer yes or no. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Uh, all right, a couple of quick ones for you here. I want you to go back over your 14 years. This is a two-part question. Your favorite stadium to work in and your favorite fan base to be uh, involved with? Oh, um, well, I'd have to say that my favorite stadium, I mean, is probably IG Field. Go through. Um I mean, it's one of the newest, <laughs> so that kind of that kind of helps as well from from that standpoint. Um, certainly, the new stadiums are the ones that are that have much more of the amenities. But I'll never forget, you know, at the old Winnipeg Stadium, as much the old Winnipeg Stadium towards its final days, we'd have players come in for sit downs and the ceiling would be leaking if it was raining outside and I used to joke that there'd be little puddles and you'd have all of these um, lights plugged in and and various things and I'd say to the place oh it's just fine <laughs> just don't worry about it yes it's dripping yes your feet are in puddles right now it's, it's all good um, or you know other ones where the creatures rodents would come in <laughs> the dressing room so I've been known to do the odd interview with sitting cross-legged up on a high stool for it but the new stadiums uh, I'd have to say are probably my favorite and fan base wise I feel as if every fan base there's something really special about them so that's my Switzerland answer on it that you know there's obviously there's markets in which there are um greater attendance numbers for it. But I think those that follow the CFL are just so passionate about it. And it makes it special. I you know, I had the opportunity to do some Touchdown Atlanta games, um, I mean, a number of years ago when they first began. And it's the same thing with Grey Cuts. So what I love is that over the years, I've been able to recognize so many passionate fans, regardless of where we are, where I could see a person on the street and go, oh, hey, and I wouldn't know their name necessarily, but I could go, hey, that's a huge Ticats fan. I know that guy, or I'll go and recognize someone I'm going, she's at all the Alouettes games. And I just think that's one of the things that makes this league so incredibly special. And it creates this family-like atmosphere, I think, amongst fan bases um, as well, especially when you go to events like Grey Cups or some of the bigger events. And there's something incredibly special, I think, about each fan base. Any special memories from your trips to Edmonton? Oh, always. Um, Again, I mean, 
fans were great. I've done a lot of really, really bad weather games in Edmonton, so I apologize to Elks fans over the years because I think they might have dreaded seeing me on the sidelines just as much as some of the other markets because I have a number of pictures of me under um you know trying to stay dry underneath um, underneath the rain uh, that's been, or trying to take shelter from the rain and i think that that's one of the things that i will always remember but it's when i said about the people it's the security staff that works the recognize it's getting to see the photographers it's um it's just being able to see those familiar faces that i just love and that's what i uh, will remember the most for it but obviously great cups that Commonwealth were always special and um, but yeah I remember a lot even this year I remember a lot of rain <laughs> yes indeed uh, alright so I know Which, can, I, can were... I very quickly say Chris Cuthbert yeah. and Glenn Suter used to give me used to always give me a hard time uh, being on the sidelines and I'd have an umbrella and I would always you know, there are no umbrellas in football as I'd look up to them at the Commonwealth and I'd look up and I'd say, yes, so the two men that are in a dry booth right now, yep. <laughs> as opposed to the one that's being pelted with rain for six hours, of course there are umbrellas in football. Sarah Orleski and Morley Scott. And that does it for another edition of Football North. Thank you so much for downloading today's edition. Love to hear your feedback. Love to hear your thoughts. Maybe you have a topic for a future show. You can always hit me up. Jock at am770chqr.com.